name is Ryan Stacy, and welcome to the Hockey Minds Podcast. This podcast is powered by Instat, the leader in video and data analysis. Instat Hockey supports all levels of our game worldwide with video breakdowns and or scouting services. For more information, visit Instat on the web at instatsport.com or on Twitter at Instat Hockey. Today I'm joined by Marc-Andre Dumas, former QMJHL head coach and general manager. Mark is a very intelligent hockey mind who really understands his players on a personal level and has developed great tactics for improving those players over time. Even in his own free time, he is always learning and you'll hear just how he goes about learning in his interview today. With that, I am happy to present Marc-Andre Dumont, former QMJHL head coach and general manager. Today we're joined by Mark Andre Dumont, former QMJHL head coach and general manager. Mark, thanks for joining the podcast. Thanks for the invitation, Ryan. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm very excited to have you on. And we talked a little bit before about some of the connections uh, Clark Bishop played with you uh, yes. earlier uh, in his career, and you know some of the experiences you had. But there's a lot to learn here and a lot to unpack. So let's dive into it. Um, maybe just talk about your upbringing to start, including where you grew up and then touch on your involvement in youth sports. Well, I grew up in, uh, in a suburb of Montreal called the Ville Saint-Laurent. Uh, so it's a, it's a very, very dynamic, small community. Um, and uh, I uh, played hockey at Ray Bork Arena. Uh, so Raymond Bork is from Ville Saint-Laurent too. Uh, also some, some guys might uh, know Matthew Darche, Matthew Darche who played for McGill and then played NHL. Tampa from Montreal now he's an executive with Tampa he's from Ville Saint-Laurent too so basically you know it's a small suburb 15 minutes away from downtown Montreal I played all sports hockey baseball soccer uh, swimming Uh, in high school I was in a private high school that had uh, phys ed courses every day so um, I was able to touch several sports name it uh, uh, from um, you know judo to uh, swimming gymnastics which I hated, uh, you know, ice hockey, uh, broom ball, um, touch football. Uh, I mean, name it. We, we had just softball. We had all sports. So, you know, at a very young age, I was able to touch different sports. And I think that's so important to, for, for any, uh, any uh, you know, athlete today and any uh, future, uh, you know, uh, hockey player, they need to, to play different sports. Yeah, I think that's a very great point to make there. And uh, you know, when I ask that question, um, I always talk about it, that a lot of times you'll get people who are strictly hockey, and then a lot of times you get people that, you know, never touched on hockey at all. But it's also interesting to hear when somebody has played, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, like the list goes on of sports and you know, broom ball and, and gymnastics are not always the sports that you think about initially. But um, I think, like you said, it's very beneficial as much as it is for a player um, for a coach or a manager or anything like that to have those experiences in other sports and takeaways from that uh, you can learn a lot and use a lot in your career so you would spend a few years coaching at the AAA level um, after school you know before moving to junior just talk about those uh, two experiences and then what you learned working with such an impressional group you know early on in your career well, my first experience in, in, in midget AAA in, in, uh, in Quebec, which is 
uh, for, for people outside Quebec, the equivalent of major midget. Um, so it was with the Laxine lines, I started off uh, there as an assistant coach for a couple of years, then went back down to minor midget. Um, and uh, it, it was a very special group uh, with, with the Laxine lines. Um, it was in the early 2000s, so we had Mark Edward Flasic, uh, that was one of our defensemen at 15, and uh, Marc-Andre Gragnani, um, who was also uh, the same age and same year as uh, Marc Edouard. Uh, and we had, you know, several other players like Ryan Moore, who played for Halifax, and Luciano Lomano, uh, another defenseman too. And so several guys, you know, ended up being drafted and, and played in the queue and, and played some pro hockey as well. Um, and, and then uh, when I moved South Shore of Montreal, there was an expansion in the AAA League a couple of years later. Uh, and I was able to be the first coach of the Chateaugui Patriots, who are now, now called the Grenadiers uh, of Chateaugui. So it was, it was an amazing experience. The, the group of players there was just outstanding. Um, and we had Jan Solvay that ended up being the first pick overall in St. John. Uh, Joël Champagne, too, had a, a tremendous career. Antoine Lagagnère played several seasons uh, in the AHL for the Anaheim system in the Anaheim system after taking the uh, U.S. Uh, route. Uh, uh, but it was a very, very special group of players that season 05, 06. Um, about, I would say, uh, one-third, seven or eight guys out of 20 I had coached in minor midget the year before. So they, they understood the culture that uh, I wanted to implement with the team. And uh, our captain was from that group uh, of players, uh, Vincent Roland. He was a terrific captain, just you know, old school a little bit, but he was he was really good. And we ended up, um, you know, uh, winning the championship, uh, the playoffs, and and going to Charlottetown for the Telus Cup, and uh, winning the bronze medal as an expansion team. So it was like our first year. We only had one player out of twenty that had midget AAA experience. So it was a, it was a really really special group. Um, I was. I was really fortunate. I still keep in touch with uh, several, if not all of them. And I'm very proud to say they're, you know, they're, they were born in 89, 90. So they're, you know, uh, 30 years old, give or take a couple of years. And they're all doing well. You know, they're, they're all like, they all have businesses or, you know, they went to school and they're successful. They have young families. And, um, and we had a, a little get together about uh, two years ago, three years ago at the rink at the arena. And it was great to go back in the dressing room uh, with the same guys. And we all sat where we usually sat and, you know, uh, we, we just, you know, uh, shared some, some memories. And it was a very, very special group, probably the most special group I, uh, I, I've coached uh, throughout my career. Yeah, it's amazing to hear about those experiences. And I'm glad you talked about um, some of the success stories, you know, Vlasic went on to play for Team Canada in San Jose and Gaza Yan Sove, uh, very successful in the queue and was drafted by Canucks and, and had these different experiences, but um, equal to the fact of their hockey careers, like you said, they're still successful in life, businesses, their families. And, and when you can see things go full circle like that, um, I think that's the, the most beneficial part of working at the AAA level where you have a lot of kids who will play professionally, but you get to see them go through uh, different parts of life and, uh, you know, it makes it all worth it, all the, the extra hours and, and all the things you deal with at, at that level. So uh, very great to hear about your experience there. Uh, moving forward a little bit, you would join the Gatineau Olympic as an assistant coach. Uh, talk about that first junior experience and what you learned uh, in that assistant coach role. 
Well, after after that successful season uh, in in Chattagui, um, Gatineau Olympics uh, reached out to me. So, Mr. Henry Charlie Henry uh, reached out, and uh, he, you know, uh, in Quebec, he's uh, he's extremely well known and extremely successful. Charles Henry is 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 the man that hired successively uh, uh, Pat Burns, Alain Vigneau, Claude Julien, Benoit Gou. So, when you're a GM in, in the queue and and you hire those guys. Uh, it means that uh, you know you've got you've got a, a tremendous uh, you know eye for coaches, but at the same time, uh, Mr. Henry was was so good to support and mentor the coaches. Uh, he didn't just hire guys; he, he helped them become better. And, and the, the number of stories I was able to to hear from Benoit Grou, uh, because he was the coach when I I got to the team in, in Gatineau. So basically, working with Charles Henry and Benoit Grou, uh, it was like going to a hockey clinic on a daily basis, to be honest. It was just amazing, uh, you know, how, how good they were and how uh, sound they were in player evaluation, in game situation evaluation, uh, in, in leading the group. Um, so it was it was really a great experience. I, I'm still in touch with uh, both of them. And, uh, you know, Mr. Henry is, is obviously fighting. Uh, he's been fighting for a couple of years now, uh, cancer, battling really hard, and he's doing, he's doing good. Um, and Benoit was in Syracuse, so um, in, in the AHL, I got to coach against him when I, I went back to, I went to Val Dora and I was in Cape Breton too. That was quite the experience to, to coach against uh, one of your mentors. But, you know, uh, bottom line is the game is played on the ice. So it was, you know, it was an honor to coach uh, against him. Uh, but I, I certainly learned so much in terms of game management, in terms of, of seeing and watching the game and observing their team and making sound adjustments between periods. Um, it was, it was, you know, a, a great, uh, a great experience. I don't think if I coached, if I hadn't coached in Gatineau, I, I don't see how I would have been able to, to become a, a head coach in the queue uh, later on. Yeah, that's a pretty strong statement. And um, another great experience to hear about. And I love how the CHL is always viewed as a key development league for players and especially in Canada, but with U.S. influence and things like that. But at the same time for coaches, uh, especially assistant coaches, it's, it's also a place to learn. And, and when you pick that program where, as you said, every day you go to the rink, it's like you're going to hockey school. Um, that really is a, a very rewarding experience. And and when you have success with the players, it just makes it all better. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a little story. So my first season, I'm, uh, it's in 2006 uh, in Gatineau. So I, I'm uh, 32 years old. So I, I'm, I'm coming out of midget. And so Benoit asks me in, in August, he says, do you want to run the power player at PK? And I'm like, well, you know, you're the boss. You tell me. <laughs> and he's like, no, you tell me. I said, well, I'm not the boss. You're the boss. So you tell me, if you want me to run the PK, I'll run the PK. You want me to run the power play. And he insisted on telling me, no, I want you to choose. He says, we're going to do it as a team anyway, but I want you to feel comfortable tackling down something from the get-go. So knowing that on the team, you had guys like Claude Giroux, uh, Paul Byron, uh, and, and Slava Trupno, and uh, Kevin Petsy, which, you know, uh, are maybe guys that, not all uh, listeners and viewers are uh, know, but those guys, those guys were amazing offensively. So I chose the power play, <laughs> and I said, you know, if if I'm gonna if I if I'm gonna decide which one I'm gonna take. So that was a way for Benoit to kind of show his team the respect he had for his new assistant coach. And and he told me also, he says in Gatineau when you hire a coach and 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 you hire someone under Charles Henry, 
it's, it's a big statement. It means that that person is here to make the team win or help the team win and contribute to a winning uh, culture and a winning uh, tradition. So uh, it, was, it was definitely, uh, you know, uh, a great experience. Yeah, a vote of confidence for sure. And uh, Byron and Drew and a number of different players you talked about there. Um, you know, I think many people would say, yeah, you should have won with the power play. And uh, <laughs> it sounds like it was a great decision. But uh, you touched on the eventual positions you would lead into. And we'll continue with the QMJHL roles. Uh, the next one yes. was with Valdor. Uh, talk about yes. your role as head coach and uh, just the new experience of going to a place like Valdor and, and leaving your mark there. Well, Valdor was, uh, was a great experience, a great learning experience. I think that um, I, I took a lot back from, from that experience. I was there for about three years and a half. Um, and, and what I got in, the team hadn't made the playoffs. Despite having a, a lineup that was uh, projected to be, uh, you know, a, a possible championship team the year that I arrived. So Marco Scandella was our captain. He was 19. We had a 20-year-old uh, goalie and we had um, uh, you know a, a lot of depth Maxim Sauve who had been drafted by uh, Boston uh, Samuel Morneau who was really a top 19 year old uh, player so the mandate from from the uh, ownership at the time was we need to go for it this year so it was exciting for me as a rookie coach to come in in a situation where you know we wanted to win at the same time you know it couldn't go worse because we had finished 18th the year before or 17th, you know, like uh, we didn't make the playoffs. So I was taking a team that hadn't made the playoffs and wanted to win. That was too big of a jump to be honest. And uh, so we struggled to establish momentum in the season. We had a whole bunch of injuries. It was unbelievable. Um, so Marco Scandella uh, playing games with team Canada, uh, you know, going to camp in Minnesota. Uh, he played 29 games out of 68. So it, and he got suspended. Uh, he had appendicitis. Um, in February, we played some games where we were missing literally 10 uh, regular players. So we had to, we had to dress up six call-ups, but that's the limit. And so we weren't even playing with a full roster and you can't dress more than six call-ups. So it was, it was really a learning experience. And then we fell into a rebuild the year after. So it, it, was, it was really tough. It was a tough era. Uh, but when we started to rebuild, the whole staff, uh, the GM was Mario Carrière. The, the, the assistant GM and head scout was Jacques Carrière, uh, who came with me in Cape Breton later on and is still in Cape Breton, actually. I'm very proud of him. Um, so we worked really hard. Like We worked hard to implement kind of a new culture um, of development. That's when guys like Anthony Manta came in, came in at 16, you know, for a few games, but at 17 established himself. Uh, we had the Henley brothers, Cedric and Sam. Sam was picked up from Lewiston on the dispersal draft. And we drafted guys like Guillaume Gelina, who played till he was 20 and then signed NHL entry-level contract. Uh, Gab Beaupre, who signed with Colorado later on. So we, 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 we and, and my last year there, we drafted uh, uh, Nicolas Aubé-Cubel, who's with Philly right now, Anthony Richard and the national system. He played some, a couple of games in, in the NHL. So we really, you know, went for talent in our, in our, you know, process of establishing, you know, a new culture in Val d'Or. And uh, then there's an ownership change. And so I, I got let go 
uh, two months after new owners bought the team, I got let go in October 2012, and the team won a championship uh, a year and a half later with Anthony Manta. Uh, but it, it was it was it was really really fun to work with all these guys. You know, when you work uh, Ryan with guys in the queue that will you know eventually end up in the NHL, you, you don't necessarily know which ones. Obviously, you see some potential, and every player has a potential to to, to grow and to make it, um, but you know, you see guys like Anthony Manta, for example, he was a fifth round pick in the queue. And at 15, he got cut from his major midget team. So he played minor midget. And then at 16, um, you know, he made, uh, he made the major midget team, but we cut him. Like we, we didn't keep him. He wasn't ready. And I remember telling him, I said, listen, I want you to call me, you know, the first day of each month, starting in October. And I want you to give me kind of a, a report on, you know, how, how your month has been, you know, on the ice, in school, off ice training, and, and so forth. And I did that with several players, right, through my years. Uh, maybe some will be listening and saying, yeah, he, you know, he asked me to, uh, to do that too. So whenever we would send back players to Midget, and I felt that kid could come up maybe at Christmas or would be on the team the year after, I usually – implemented that and Anthony had a very very good camp it's just he wasn't ready to, to play major junior at 16 and so sent him back kept contact year after he came in at 17 and and he he got we healthy scratched him a few times in October in November in December and you know every time I was sitting down with him he was hearing it for me and I was telling him why Okay, so you're, you're going to take a break tonight. And you're going to play tomorrow. Or I would be telling him, um, you, need to, you need to invest more in your practices. You need to invest more on your off-ice training. Or let's watch some video from your last game. This kind of you know, shift that you played here, here, and here, that, that has to disappear. You've got to take that out of your game. And so he was really receptive. Like a great kid, but he came from far. Like meaning he had a lot of ways to go. Uh, to become the, the player he's become today and, and hats off to him because he put so much, you know, uh, grit and grind and effort into becoming the player he became. But one of the things, Ryan, that I, I you know, and that's for, 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 for the listeners, viewers that are coaches, minor hockey coaches or major midget coaches um, or, or any other level actually, is you've got to find a way to coach every kid differently. And you've got to find you know, exactly what each kid needs to grow and to become a hundred percent of what he can become, because that's the ultimate goal as a coach. If you can help every single player on your team become a hundred percent of what they can become, you're going to be successful. It may mean you're going to win a championship. It may mean you're going to come up short, but at least all your players will have become a hundred percent of what they can become. And uh, with Anthony, I felt at one point it was a question of confidence. I think he came in at 17 in, 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 in major junior and he, he, he saw a few things and he said, geez, this is really tough. Like this is tougher than I thought. And so many players, you know, come up with that assessment. And what's important is to move along, move on from that assessment, not stay stuck to it. And unfortunately there's some players that stay stuck to it and they're, they're like, okay, this is so hard. This is so tough. My goal now is just to make sure, uh, you know, I never get scratched again, you know, instead of saying, I want to become 100% of what I can become. And so 
uh, Anthony uh, needed a confidence boost. And so after Christmas, um, I told him after a game that he had played really good. I showed him some good season. And I said, listen, can you play this way till the end of the year? And he said, yes, I can play like that every single game. I said, every single game? He said, yes. I said, perfect. Now, if you play like that, you're going to be in the lineup every single game. Okay. And I want you, I want you to understand one thing is you may have a game that you're going to be down and you're not going to be doing exactly. I'm going to give you a break. If I see that you're consistent, you know, if you're consistent and one game, there's a little letdown, I'm not going to hold you accountable to it. I'm going to hold you accountable to the 16 or 18 previous games that you did exactly or played exactly the way you were supposed to play. And then, um, he ended up scoring 21 goals um, that season at 17. Um, and I think after Christmas, it was something like 15 out of 21 goals. And uh, so he got noticed. Um, we were a very young team. So we, we unfortunately lost in the first round. And then he went on to play with Team Canada, the U18 uh, World Championship. And he came back to Valdor to pick up his stuff afterwards in early May. And then I sat down with him. And um, so... I did his, his, you know, uh, exit meet, you know, how we were season and good things, bad things, what are your, your plans for the summer? And then I took a piece of paper and just wrote two things on it. And he, he couldn't see it. So I wrote two things, folded the paper, put an envelope, sealed the envelope. I put my initials on it. I said, put your initials on it too. And so he put his initials on him and I said, I'll put it, you know, on my, uh, on my wall here. I'll pin it to my uh, whole board. And uh, we'll open it in a year from now. <laughs> so he was, he was, he was, okay, what is this? You know, like he, he, he didn't know he was 17 turning uh, 18 in the fall. So it wasn't his draft year. His draft year was the following year. So the following year was 2012 and 13. Unfortunately, as I mentioned earlier, I got let go in October. So um, he came to see me when that happened. And, and I remember his words and it was, it was, it was quite special. I had, you know, several players that, you know, uh, brought, uh, you know, messages to me and came to visit uh, to really uh, uh, give me, you know, words of encouragement. It was, it was quite special to, to see. And, um, and then he, he said to me, he said, listen, you know, he says, you, you were, you were here for me uh, when I was 16, 17, and even right now this year, and now it's my turn to be there for you. And so I said, great. And, and then I told him, I said, I still have the envelope. Like I didn't leave it at the rink. And I said, um, I, I can give it to you. And he said, um, you know, well, you know, sure. He says, but we were supposed to open it, you know, in the spring. And I said, well, I won't be there. So uh, if you want to open it, if you don't want to open it. So my, my whole plan was a question of confidence. I want to build his confidence for his career. So on a piece of paper, that was after his 17-year-old season, I wrote two things. I said, you're going to score 50 goals uh, this season, and you're going to be drafted in the first round in the NHL. And so he scored his 50th goal last regular season game in an empty net. And uh, he sent me a, a, a note after that game. And I was, I was now in Cape Breton. I was coaching in Cape Breton when he sent me the note. And he said, uh, you know, I had a thought for you, uh, Mark, uh, tonight when I scored the 50th uh, goal. And then he got drafted first round by Detroit. So, so in Anthony's case, it, it was a lot about, you know, confidence. And it was a lot about taking care of him and, and make him believe how good he could be one day and how good he can still become. Um, and now as an established NHLer, you know, uh, being very successful 
in Detroit, uh, you know, uh, I'm proud of him. Um, and he should be really proud of himself because he worked really hard to, to get there. I mean, how many, how many kids, you know, get drafted in the fifth round, Ryan, in the queue, and they're like, ah, okay, well, fifth round, you know. You know, I better look for plan B <laughs> yeah. and I'll never make it. If I make it, you know, I'll, I'll play fourth line. That's it. I don't want to do more, you know, and, and it's not the case, you know, growth is, is really an uneven concept. Like it, it can happen at uh, any age. Yeah. Everybody really does have a different path. And that's the unique nature of being a coach at that level is you have to identify the path that every player has. And, and sometimes it's right in front of you. You can see it the first time they go on the ice and, and other times you really have to work to build that relationship to find what it is. And, and unfortunately, sometimes we can't find it. And it's just, you know, for whatever reason, it doesn't work out. But um, it's pretty special when you get a situation where a player is responsive and, and willing to put in the work. And, I mean, everybody knows Anthony Mantha today and, and the success he's yeah. having in Detroit. So um, one of those stories that I'm sure a lot of people listening will uh, gravitate towards and, uh, you know, keep it in their back pocket for experiences with their own players and, and hopes that they also breed, you know, first round NHL players. So a great exactly. story. Um, you know, moving forward with QMJHL, your next role would come as a head coach and GM with Cape Breton. Um, talk about the change to, you know, a different side of the QMJHL in Nova Scotia and Cape Breton. And just talk about that hockey community and your experience there. Oh, it's a great community. Uh, it's a great community, great people. I mean, people in Cape Breton are so nice. It's a great place to live. It's a great place for a junior hockey player to, to, to go and play at. Um, I still have, you know, many friends in, in Cape Breton. Uh, unfortunately, with the current COVID situation, it's tough to travel out of province and, and go visit. But uh, it, it was just a, an amazing community. And I spent seven you know, unreal seasons uh, in, in Cape Breton made, you know, so much connection and, and friends. And it, it was really, a, it was a tough era also when I got to Cape Breton. The team had finished, I believe, 16th the year before and 16th the year before and 18th. Uh, I came in in December, uh, so about two months after I left uh, Cape Breton. Uh, uh, sorry, I left uh, Val d'Or. So early December, we were already 17th or 18th and already like several points away from a, a playoff spot. And, you know, with the format of one playing against 16, uh, if you're going to finish 16th, uh, you're in for a tough run in the first round, <laughs> playing the first place team that usually is stacked and made some, some trades at Christmas. So um, we, uh, we ended up, you know, uh, deciding to, to, to rebuild, you know, but we had already some, some young players. So, after Christmas that year, we had five 16-year-olds in, in the lineup just to kind of evaluate and give them some mileage. Clark Bishop was one of them. He was he was terrific. He played his whole career in Cape Breton. He became our captain, played for Team Canada at the under-18. Uh, he was an assistant captain with them, actually, and then became our captain at 18 years old. And uh, it, it, was, it was really amazing to, to coach him. Great family as well. Um, and I'm really proud of, you know, the player he's become, uh, you know, he's come a long way. He was injured a lot at 17, at 18, at 19. He never played a full season. Uh, and physically, he needed to get stronger. He needed to, to bulk up and, and become really a, you know, a, a pro athlete rather than a junior athlete. And he did it, you know, and I've spoken to executives in in uh, Carolina, not this year, but uh, last year and a year before. And uh, they were mentioning to me, like, Mark, you know, uh, 
Clark has done an amazing job to become the player that we all projected he could become. So, um, so that was great. Um, but at the same time, like, uh, I think that the turning point for, for, for me and Kay Breton was, you know, in the 16, 17 season. So we, we tried to go for it in 15, 16. We had a lot of ammunitions. We made some acquisitions. And I believe that um, trying to get players from outside to come in and then try to build, you know, a, fam a sense of family uh, was really difficult. So, you know, I, I learned that through, um, you know, uh, through time is that patching up a cycle uh, because when I came in, the cycle was already started and we were supposed to try to go for it in two years. Well, you know, it ended up like trying to patch up and, and, and grab some players here and there. And it was really tough. Like uh, I remember that year is the year we drafted Nicolas Roy, uh, who refused to show up uh, in Cape Breton uh, and we had to, to trade him. It was, it was a good trade for us in terms of assets, but um, you know, in, in 12, 13, players from Nova Scotia didn't want to come and play in Cape Breton. So it, it was really tough to recruit, uh, you know. Uh, and so we worked so hard to, to change that, to patch it up, you know, and, and try to go for it. And then in 16, 17, we said, okay, we're going to rebuild by drafting, nurturing, and keeping those players. And, and so in 16, 17, at Christmas, that's the year where we traded Pierre-Luc Dubois for, for incredible assets like Mathias Laferriere and, and a first-round pick and a second-round pick. And, and we were really young after Christmas. And um, we had, I think, nine or 10, 16, 17-year-olds. We were the second youngest team in the queue. Despite that, we were seventh overall. So out of 18 teams so it, it was it was great like we were performing at very good awesome overagers Ali LeBlanc uh, who's now at UNB uh, Giovanni Fiore Massimo Carosa and and other guys that were 19 too like Felix Martineau uh, like uh, Ty Fournier and and there's others I'm, I'm I don't want to mention all the names but uh, if I'm forgetting some don't you know don't uh, hold me uh, you know uh, don't hold a grudge to it but um, so at, in January, I remember a tweet, Ryan, from uh, Michael Alancet, TVA Sports in Montreal, who says, the best two teams in the league since December 1st are Cape Breton and I don't remember your team. So I said to myself, all right, so my guys are going to see that. I have a whole bunch of young guys and they're going to be like, oh, we're so good. <laughs> you know, like even though we have a whole bunch of 16, 17 year olds, we're so good. We just got to keep going. So I had a meeting with the guys and that's where I think it was a turning point for the following three years that meeting where I said to the guys I said you guys saw the tweet and and it says that we're you know uh, among the best two teams since December 1st despite you know and that was like late January like January 25th and the guys were like yeah that's uh, pretty good I said so what do we do and they said well, let's just keep going I said that's a huge mistake <laughs> you know if we keep going that's a huge mistake and I said, what do we do? So I had a couple of answers that, you know, went in the direction of, okay, let's, uh, let's try to improve every, every aspect of our game 1%. I said, I understand what you mean and your intention is good, but that's not the solution. And for me, Ryan, the it wasn't the solution because improving your defensive zone 1%, improving your, your skating 1% is, is kind of tough to measure as a team. So I wanted, you know, concrete, you know, um, hands-on stuff. So I used one of our players. I said, um, I said, Yannick Bertrand. 
And, and for, for the Cape Breton fans, I'm sure they'll remember, uh, we had an incredible line with Declan Smith, Ty Fournier, and Yannick Bertrand. So I said, Yannick, tell me, what's, what's your number one strength? Like, tell me, like, what are you good at? And I knew he would say, my work ethic, my battle level. Like, you know, it's just incredible. I said, how do you get to that? Well, he says, every time I'm on the ice, every time I'm involved in a battle, I just go all out. And he was like by far probably the hardest working player in terms of battles, in terms of, you know, uh, corner play. Like he really, really worked really hard. Like he would outwork so many players, um, you know, with his work ethic, even in practice. And I said, okay, in parallel to that, tell me, one aspect that you like to improve on, one aspect that you like to develop, one aspect, you know, we all have seven, eight, 10, 12 little minor details here and there, picking up, picking up a rim, you know, on, on the backhand, uh, you know, tipping pucks in front of the net, uh, protecting the puck from this angle, uh, you know, and so forth. So, you know, there's always, you know, eight, 10, 12 small elements that you want to work. So he said, I want to work on my shot. So I said, tell me, the work ethic that you implement on your battles in terms of practice and games, that commitment, are you as committed to your shot? And he paused for a second and he said, no. I said, that's the solution. And I said, everybody here, it's the same thing. We have strengths that we really work hard at and that we're really good at, you know, like we're almost experts in, in the queue in terms of my one-timer, my face-offs or whatnot, but there's items that we don't implement the same work ethic and the same commitment to just because, you know, we don't, there's no, it's, it's not a question of asking ourselves why we just don't do it. So I said, Tomorrow, I need you to come up with one item that you're going to bring to the attention of the coaching staff uh, first and say, I want to improve this. This is what I'm going to do on a daily basis. And I need these resources. So some guys said, I need a coach to work with me on my power skating, you know, outside practice hours. Um, I need another teammate to work on this. Um, and then, you know, I made sure also, we made sure as a coaching staff that the minutes involved made sense. You know, if a kid told me I'm going to work on my uh, face-offs for 25 minutes per day, it's, it's not realistic. Work on your face-offs five minutes a day or four minutes a day, that's realistic. And then if you do extra, great. But you don't want to, you know, put down on a piece of paper even 25 minutes and then be unsuccessful five days in a row because we're on the road. We, we didn't practice. We don't have ice or, you know, we got a three and three. So it's gotta, it's gotta make sense. And so the next day, every player got up in a room and, and started saying, you know, I need to work on this. I need to work on that, you know, and I'm going to implement this and I'm going to do this and this and that to improve it. And um, one key turning point for me was uh, our 20 year old Massimo Carosa. Mass said, I need to, I need to work. Uh, on protecting the puck when when I'm under pressure and and like facing facing the wall like I can't see you know and I need I need to improve that um, and then later on a 16 year old Olivier Bourret says I need to improve uh, you know press pressing a puck carrier and not losing it because sometimes when I pressure a guy 
like I get beat too easily. So I, I need, I need that to end in, in my own end. I cannot get beat, you know? So, so they, they would explain what they need to improve on, what their plan is and how many minutes they're going to, you know, invest on it. And, and again, you know, I stressed a lot, like small is beautiful. Like you're better off saying I'm going to invest. I'd rather a kid tell me I'm going to invest three minutes on that at, at the end of each practice and actually do it. And it will be uh, useful. So, that's what you call Ryan deliberate practice. So that's what I brought to the team. Uh, that's what our coaching staff brought to the team. And I remember some, my assistant coaches were saying, you know, like the kid would come up and say, I need to work on this. And then, you know, the assistant coach would tell me like, it makes no sense. Like that's not, that's not the priority. That shouldn't be the number one item on his list. And I said, it doesn't matter. It's not a question of what he is improving. The question is we're implementing the, the skill of improving that's the most important thing. If, if the player chooses that area and does improve, then he'll be able to, to take that skill and bring it to other areas that we're going to bring or come up, you know, bring up to, to him, uh, you know, later on or in the off season or next August. So that's when, you know, our practices at the end of practices, it started looking like a hockey school. So the guys would stretch it after the last drill. They'd come to the coaches. We'd give instructions like, okay, we got a video meeting at that time or see the moral or a bus leaves at that time. And then, all right, uh, you got about 15 minutes or 20 minutes extra time. And then, boom, everybody left and did some, you know, skills and work. And Massimo Carosa took 16-year-olds. So a 20-year-old took the 16-year-old said, we're working together. Come with me. You're going you're gonna to cover me, and I'm going to try to keep the puck under pressure. So – to see that, it meant the culture was, was starting to implement. And um, a, a few years later, so three years later, uh, Derek Gentile is, is acquired by the team. And, and I'm not with the team at the time. I'm with Team Canada. So uh, our assistant coaches are running the team. And uh, so I'm, I'm, I come back, you know, early January and sit down with Derek and I said, so how, 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 how is it going? You know, like it's been two weeks now or 10 days that you've been here and tell me how, uh, how you like it. And he says, it's great. You know, great to be back home. And, and he says something to me, he says, Mark, like I have to admit the first practice I came here, like at the end of practice, Brent Hughes, who was our, our assistant captain, he took the group after a stretch, gave some instructions. And then he said, I turn around and me and, and uh, Sean Boudiria, the, uh, the other cup, the other player we had acquired from uh, Gatlin, he says, we turn around and then everybody's working. Everybody's working on something everywhere on the ice. And it's not that they want to impress the coach. The coach's not there. <laughs> He's in Vancouver. So he says, I was stunned. He says, I've never seen that. He was 19 at the time. So he'd played, you know, at 16 in Quebec and 17 in Quebec too, and then played in Charlottetown. And so he said, all that time, like he said, I literally, he says, I've never seen that, you know, and I, I was really proud of my players when, when, when Derek said that, like, you know, I, I entertain him on, on, on the idea behind that of improving and, and making sure players grow, uh, you know, as we move along. And so that was our, that was really our trademark uh, those years in Cape where, you know, we wanted players to grow. We wanted players to develop. Drake Batterson is an exa example of a player like that. So um, I think, I think it's important for, you know, any junior coach uh, or any midget coach, to establish a culture, you know, uh, to, to make sure there's a, there's a blueprint. This is the team. This is the kind of team we are, and this is what we want to do with our players. And this is the kind of environment that we want to have. And so, 
um, you know, for, for, for the following years, uh, players would continue to, to work on, on specifics. They would text me and the assistant coaches, is there extra time tomorrow morning? Like we practice in the afternoon. So is there any ice time in the morning we can go to and work on this, work on that? So uh, I think, you know, that, that helps players become 100% of what they want to become. Yeah, that's, uh, it, it just goes to show, uh, once again, that the commitment level and the success level that can be reached if the players are willing to buy in. And um, it's not very often, you know, except for in the success stories that we hear about that, entire teams buy in that way and um, it was apparent the level of commitment especially when you have a player um, who's been in the league for a while come to you and say I've never seen anything like that before yeah. so regardless of uh, maybe the immediate team success or or however things went there um, you can know that those players were improving and that skill you know that skill set of being able to improve in hockey uh, was taught and and they learned it and maybe they were even able to take it outside the game as well. Um, one of the things you hinted at through that, uh, you know, conversation was your experience with Hockey Canada. Um, maybe before we dive into the World Juniors, just talk about your role at the U17s with, team, uh, with Hockey Quebec and just what you learned uh, in that role before going to the World Juniors. Well, it was, it was my uh, second experience with uh, the U17. I was as an assistant coach first uh, in 2003, 2004 and the tournament was in Lethbridge, Alberta and then uh, a few years later in 2009 I, I got to be head coach of the team. The tournament was in Port Alberni, beautiful Port Alberni uh, in, uh, in uh, British Columbia, um, just three hours north of Victoria. So it was, it was a great experience, uh, great talent, uh, great staff. Uh, I mean I, I was a major midget coach, midget AAA coach at the time in Chattagui. And um, because after uh, two seasons in Gatineau, I went back to midget uh, for, for two seasons uh, before going to Val d'Or. And, um, and the, two, the two assistant coaches that were named on the team and, and, you know, those programs, you don't really choose your assistants, you know, like the, the program, you know, forms a, a coaching staff. So they called me up. They said, Eric Dubois is going to be uh, one of your assistant coaches. And Mario Duhamel is going to be your assistant coach. So Mario at the time is assistant coach in Rwanda uh, with Andre Tourigny. And now Mario is in Ottawa with the 67s as an assistant or associate coach. And then Eric Dubois is general manager and head coach in Bécamo. So those two guys now are going to be assistant coach to a, a, a Mitch Triple coach. <laughs> You know, and so uh, uh, the first move I made is when I call him up, I said, by the way, you're not assistant coach, you're associate coaches. So I, I named both of them associate coaches with, with you know, the green light from Hockey Quebec. Um, and it was important for me to show that we would be working as a team and uh, that we wanted players to work as a team as well. And uh, they were awesome. I learned a lot from Mario. I learned a lot from Eric. Uh, and I'm still in touch with both of them. Actually, you know, uh, I coached Pierre Luke, which, you know, is Eric's son in Cape Breton uh, a few years later. So it's a small world, uh, but it, it was really a good experience. Um, and then, you know, later on, if you look at Hockey Canada, Ryan, then, you know, I, I represented Hockey Canada in 2007. Uh, actually, that was before in, in uh, Virumaki. It's a summer camp for 15-year-olds where, uh, you know, every country sends two players and sends, um, you know, a coach to help the Canadian uh, coach is always a, an experienced coach that can go out there and, and help uh, the coaches from other countries. And 
China was there, uh, Taiwan was there, uh, South Africa, uh, Lebanon. So it's like new emerging countries, you know, Malaysia. I was rooming with the Malaysian, you know, uh, national coach, Gary, Gary Tan, who's still, I was on his podcast a few months ago, actually. So um, he, uh, he still runs the program there and he does a, an incredible job in Malaysia to build hockey from scratch, from nothing. They didn't have a rink. They had a, a shopping center with an arena. So uh, that, that, was, um, that was a good experience in 2007, um, uh, working there. And one of the two players that, I, that, was, that were, was traveling with me, and I was actually responsible of him, uh, is from uh, PI, uh, Morgan Ellis. So it's funny that Morgan was 15, so we met in Toronto, and then you know, I took him over to Finland. It was his first trip to Europe, and uh, brought him back afterwards to Toronto, made sure he was on his flight to uh, Charlottetown um, and uh, so later on he played in Cape we always kept in touch um, so it, it was a good experience in 2007 as well um, and, um, and and then you know uh, the world juniors uh, a couple years ago yeah and we'll dive right into that world junior experience um, as everybody knows especially in Canada it's uh, it's a major event in hockey and as some people say it might even be better than the Olympic Games so uh, just talk about your experience with working with Team Canada and the World Juniors and, uh, you know, just being uh, involved with that high caliber of hockey and the excitement around it. Well, the first thing I want to say is the result wasn't the one that we wanted. Uh, that's, the, that's the year where we lost to, to Finland in overtime. Um, it's the year where Noah Dobson had a, an open net one time around two-on-one in overtime and, and his stick broke and uh, Max Contois had a penalty shot in, in the overtime and, and Finland's tying goal was a shot from behind the goal line that deflected twice. So it was really frustrating to see that. Um, so it's not the result we wanted, but if you take aside the result, the experience is just outstanding. And, and going to the world juniors, like the hockey Canada guys were telling me like, Mark, you'll see like, you know, going to the World Juniors is big, but when it's in Canada, it's uh, unbelievable. And the vibe and the atmosphere in Vancouver, it was just unreal, like unreal. Whether it's at the hotel or taking a walk or at the rink, um, the rink was full for all games, you know. So whether it was a Switzerland against Denmark game, the rink was full. It was unbelievable. The atmosphere was just great. People in Vancouver, uh, you know, amazing. So it, it was. it was certainly... It was certainly an outstanding overall experience. My role was to be eye in the sky, uh, a bit like Ken Hitchcock at the uh, Olympics. So he was on, you know, with the laptop, you know, and, and the uh, earplug and talking to uh, the coaches behind the bench, giving observations, going down between periods and, you know, making some observations. Um, prior to that, I went to scout uh, the team. So their exhibition games, you know, the, the week right before Christmas where it's all, you know, exhibition games between countries and I went to watch teams practice too. British Columbia is a pretty big province so I traveled a lot. Uh, so uh, Hockey Canada you know obviously booked me a flight from Victoria to Vancouver. I rented a car and then went to Kamloops, went to Chilliwack, went to all those places. Um, so caught a, caught a few snowstorms out there so um it it was it was a, a good experience i was able to watch a lot of countries practice so see how they implement some stuff the finnish the swedes the americans the russians so i was able to to see that took some notes 
made some uh, pre-scouting reports for coaching staff on special teams and five on five. Um, and then, uh, you know, just help with the eye in the sky. So it, it was, it was really, a it, it's a first class organization, hockey Canada. And, you know, just to tell you, I mean, we're 22 staff members for a team of 22 players. So it's, it's uh, highly specialized and it's, you know, it's, it's a highly professional operation and, you know, Tom Rennie and, and Scott Smith and all those guys do an amazing job. Scott Salmon, uh, uh, you know, uh, they, they do an amazing job, uh, you know, to um, uh, Sean Bullock. I, I was forgetting Sean, uh, you know, they do an amazing job to, uh, to make sure that all players, all staff feel professional and have every resources, everything put on the table to win. You know, everything is, 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 is available to make sure that we uh, are successful. So um, I certainly took back a lot of stuff from, from that experience back in Cape Breton and, you know, uh, in my, uh, and, and for the future of my career. Yeah, I think every single person that has talked about any experience with Hockey Canada, whether it be at the provincial level or, or moving into a, a stage like that, uh, just talk about how first class and how resourceful they are and, and their commitment to uh, making you feel at home in what a lot of times is a, you know, a very short-term contract or like a short-term team. So you're kind of learning on the fly and, and building that chemistry with the staff. And, uh, but I mean, a number of people can probably remember that game where Dobson's stick broke. And I, I, I'm sure uh, many of them were like me and, and wondering why things like that happen, but yeah. it, it's just one of those things you can't control and then, you know, bounces and whatever. But um, very interesting to hear about the World Junior experience and getting to work with those top-tier players and um, a different perspective being the coach in the sky. I think that's a, a role that some people um, don't always think about with coaches and, and doing the pre-scouts beforehand, going to the rinks and watching practices. So just another perspective to give into the role of a, a coach or an assistant coach and, and what they have to do in preparation for a pretty major event. Um, another international opportunity you had was coaching at the Youth Olympics in Switzerland. Talk about yes. the difference in that role and then, uh, you know, working with some younger players uh, in a pretty big event as well. Yeah, it was a very special group. It was a fun group, um, you know, and uh, it, it was really uh, the boys were so committed to uh, winning. Uh, we ended up uh, getting a bronze medal, uh, beating the Finns for a bronze medal game. Guys played outstanding that game. Semis was a very good game, too, against uh, the Americans. We lost two to one, but uh we had a terrific third period and, um, you know, we were really proud of players, you know, really proud of the boys. It's the first international experience. Some of the boys had never flown before. Uh, and most of the guys had never gone to Europe. So it was quite, it was quite an experience, you know, to take them to Switzerland uh, and, and beautiful, beautiful city, Lausanne, uh, just amazing uh, city. We, we took the subway to the, to the arena. Um, and, 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 uh, you know, uh, it was, it was just an overall outstanding experience. The fans were just amazing. Talking about sold out, like playing, you know, Tuesday morning at uh, 11 a.m. against the Finns or against uh, the Russians, and it was sold out. It was 10,000 fans or 11,000 fans. And um, our game against the Americans were, was sold out three weeks before. So we talk about Canada being a hockey country, but there's a lot of hockey yeah. countries out there. Switzerland is a hockey country, too. Um, so it, it was, it was great. Uh, you know, it was, it was just an amazing experience. Uh, 
And, and, you know, I'm, I'm thankful because I wasn't coaching last season. So uh, to get that experience in and to be able to be with a team and to follow, you know, the guys uh, draft afterwards in the queue, unfortunately, there was any, there was any, no players from the Maritimes from Atlantic Canada, uh, which, you know, uh, wasn't the case in 2016. We had some, some players like Jeremy McIsaac, for example, but you know, Ryan, there's one thing I take from, from that uh, experience from analyzing the whole situation. And it, it you know, some players might say, okay, well, I wasn't invited to, to the Youth Olympics, you know, so I was on the radar, so that's it, my career is over, I'm never going to play pro, you know, and, and unfortunately, some players might think that, and I'm sure there's not many, but to those who think that, you're so wrong, because if you look at the uh, Youth Olympic team in 2016, uh, the coach was Marty Raymond, so Marty told me that last winter when I, I gave him a call and said, I'm going to be going with the team Canada at the youth Olympics and uh, talk to me about the experience and all that. And turns out that from his team, uh, there's 17 players at the youth Olympics. You play with nine forwards, six defensemen and two goalies. So uh, out of the 17 guys, there's only four that were on team Canada for the world juniors last December and, and they're 19. So when you look at that, you know, if you project that, it means that there's only four players from the 17 that we coached that will make Team Canada at the World Juniors uh, in, in three years from now. So, you know, you might say, okay, well, did, did Hockey Canada make a mistake in, 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 in player selection? They didn't. The player selection is tough because you don't have a scout or a scouting group that, you know, can scout the whole country from coast to coast. So you got to go through the central scouting system of the Q, the O, and the W, you know, and try to figure out, okay, who are the, the best, you know, 10, 12 players. And then you, you end up with a pool of 35. And it, it was a really long process. And they had a big committee. Like they had eight, 10 guys and really, okay, well, this guy versus that guy and, and Brad McEwen, who, who was the head scout for Team Canada, traveled a little bit to see maybe some of the players, but he had to really send some bird dogs. And so I think that, you know, 90%, it was probably the best 17 players available for that tournament. You know, the best 17 players right now, you know. But the thing is, hockey is a growth sport. So from 16 to 19, there's so many things that happen. There's so many players that will, you know, take a, take a learn, learning curve and just grow so much as a player. Drake Batterson is an example, you know, like at, at 15, you know, he, he wasn't even drafted into the queue. And at 16, he was drafted in sixth round by Cape Breton, you know, and then at 17, he didn't make the team. He was cut. He went back to junior A, scored four goals in junior A at 17. So who would have thought that two years later, he'd be on team Canada scoring seven goals at the world juniors and winning the goal with Dominique Ducharme, and Joel Bouchard uh, as exactly. the GM and, and, and coach. So it's all a question of growth. So to all the players that, you know, in Atlantic Canada or elsewhere that say, well, you know, I wasn't even considered for the Youth Olympics. Well, who cares? <laughs> who cares? You can still, you know, uh, down the road, make the team so, uh, or, or make a career for yourself. So, and it doesn't mean that the 17 kids that were on the team now don't have a chance to be for Team Canada. I mean, I'm sure Hockey Canada would, would be super excited to see most of those guys make the world junior team because that's, that's the, that's the, the process. They want to bring in the kids. The youth Olympics is a program every four years. So it's only once every four years, but 
So they want to bring the kids after at the U17 and after at the U18 at the both the, both events, like the, the, the Linka and then the World Championship in April and then the World Junior. So that's like that's the process. So they want most of their players to be. But every year there's players that are not, you know, never been in the U17, never been in the U18 that make the U20 uh, team. So it's it's an example of how much growth mindset is key. Uh, to, for players to grow and, and become, you know, uh, pro hockey players. It's not a matter of who's better or who's best at 15 and 16. It's who will develop the most, who will grow the most as a player. Yeah, the development curve is, uh, you know, you, it's sometimes unimaginable at that age group. And even within players in your own team, you bring them in camp 16. I mean, you can do what you want, but realistically, you don't really know what they're going to be like at 18. You hope that they're going to grow with your team and, and develop into the player uh, that you early envisioned. But um, a lot of times that's not the case. And that's just the nature of hockey uh, when working at that team level. So very interesting to hear your take there and how players shouldn't be discouraged because at 15, they're not picked. And, you know, it's they should know that at 15, you're not the player you are at 20 or, you know, later in your career. So a very good perspective there. Another thing I want to talk about before uh, diving into some other opportunities at that international level or, or bringing players to a place like Finland or, you know, a hockey crazy market like Vancouver around the world juniors. Uh, those players are, are dealing with a lot of excitement. Um, sometimes if it's Christmas or away, away from families, there's a lot of emotions going around. Uh, how do you look to approach these type of events as a coach and kind of keep your players uh, focused and in line in what is often a very unique and, a different experience for them that's a good question Ryan. it's it's all about channeling you got to channel you know every every emotion or every you know aspect that's not uh intended for performance you got to channel it into the performance so whether it's uh, media distractions uh loneliness um you know um players that have to accept different roles, you know, like, um, like at the youth Olympics, like, you know, we had nine forwards. Well, all nine played the half wall on power play. <laughs> There's not one that said, Oh, I played that. I play screen, you know, or I'm not on the power play. They were all half wall. So we can't have nine guys play the half wall. So accepting roles. So you got to channel all that with the world junior there's so much excitement. Whenever you put the, the, the team Canada Jersey, there's so much excitement, you know, that, what, what's important is for staff to channel that excitement into focus, channel, you know, all distractions into developing, uh, you know, or growing your, your focus, your focus on tasks, you know, on staying in the present time. And that's a skill, like channeling all that, channeling distractions, the, the crowd's energy, the crowd's disappointment, you know, if you miss a, a goal or, you know, there's a, there's a, an apparent bad call from the referee and the fans are all over the referees and the players can feed off of that, but it's not necessarily constructive, you know, uh, energy or emotion. So you got to channel all that and it's a skill. So it's something that uh, players learn, you know, like it's just like any other skill, Ryan. Some players learn that very quickly and some need to work at it. It's just like a one time or some guys get it almost naturally and some other guys need to work at it. So it's, it's accompanying the, the players into that process of making sure that they channel and, and keep their eyes, you know, straight ahead on the present time. But it's, it's, it's exciting, you know, like 
you're, you're standing up like I was in the booth, you know, standing up for national anthem, uh, crowd going wild and, you know, look at the, our bench and see all the guys standing up and, you know, we're, we're the staff goalie coach, the head scout, you know, uh, the video coach is, is with us in, in the booth. And then the excitement is amazing, but we prepare and players are so well prepared, you know, by Hockey Canada to go through that process that, uh, um, you know, I think it's, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's important to, to discuss it and it's important to plan for it. Um, but it's all about channeling. Yeah. A great point. And at the same time for the players, I'm sure it's very exciting for the coaches as well and, and keeping the focus there. But I think, uh, you know, when you get named to a coaching staff like that, you obviously have the, the mindset and, and the correct methods of going through that excitement and channeling it. So, um, great to hear that you, uh, were able to go through that. And, uh, like I said, while the, the result, especially at the world junior level, wasn't exactly what you wanted, um, it's still a success nonetheless that you're able to get there and, and represent Team Canada. So at this point in the podcast, we usually go a little more reflective, start talking about a few things there, but uh, we're going to switch it up a little bit this time and talk about some experiences outside of the, you know, your own team setting and just talk about some learning that you did. So uh, the first one I wanted to talk about was in the summer of 2017. Uh, you had a u- unique experience of going to Russia and spending time with uh, the locomotive hockey program. Uh, talk about how that came about and then touch on some of the key things that you learned uh, during that very unique trip. I was very, very fortunate to be able to have contacts in, in Russia. Um, as you know, when I was in Cape Breton, we, we drafted a lot of Russian players like Max Lazarev, Evgeny Zveshnikov, Vasily Glotov, uh, Igor Sokolov, um, and then a German, uh, Leon Kafanke. But uh, uh, so my contacts in, in, in Russia, um, I established a good relationship uh, with them. Um, and, um, you know, I, for about a year, I planned that trip where I wanted to go into a good program. Um, and Lokomotiv is probably one of the best programs uh, in, in Russia and see how they teach, what they teach. And, and see a whole week, you know, of it, it ended up being 10 days, but uh, a whole week and a half of practice and skill sessions. And what do they do with the boys at all ages on the ice? So basically I spent, you know, the whole week with the junior team. So the, the under 20 team, like that plays in the MHL. So equivalent to the CHL. Um, so I was, you know, at each practice, um, I, I was able to go on the ice with, uh, with the team once uh, and run a couple of drills with an interpreter because nobody speaks English uh, out there or French for that matter. But, and I don't speak Russian. So, um, and then, but I also went to see, that was my request. Like I said, I, I don't want to just go see one practice per day. Like I'd like to be booked from 7 to, to 9 p.m. And, and I want to watch uh, you know, the U12, U13, 14, 15, 16. I want to see what you do with Bantams, with, with Peewees, with uh, Midgets, you know, like I want to see what, what is taught on the ice. So I took so many notes. I took some, a, a couple of videos uh, that I kept um, and, and they were so open to uh, my presence. And uh, I can't thank enough my, my contacts uh, there um, that, that established that relationship of, of trust because uh, you know, Russia hockey does, doesn't allow, you know, outsiders to come in and just, you know, watch practices and actually, you know, film some drills that were awesome. 
So I discovered that, you know, we share a lot more than we have differences. Um, but the, the culture of, of the kids there is, is very, very disciplined. Like it's, it's very strict and it's, it's a high privilege to play hockey in Russia because it's expensive and most kids that play hockey cannot afford it. It's the association or organization that pays for it. Basically the KHL team makes money and then, you know, uh, the NHL team may, may make some money too. And then it trickles down. It helps to, to, to pay for coaches, pro coaches, like full-time coaches. So for example, there's one of the coaches that spoke um, a little bit of English. So he coached, the U13 full-time and he was assistant coach with the U15. So there's a lot of combinations like that. And, and so the boys there feel it's an extreme privilege to play hockey. So I saw uh, a coach coach 26, 11 year olds for a power skating practice. And he was by himself on the ice. There's no other coaches, no goalies, just 26, 11 year olds. And the boys were all listening to a T. Like, it was unbelievable. And I, I was stunned. I, I couldn't, uh, like, I go on the ice sometimes to help some, some friends of mine that coach 11-year-olds and 13-year-olds. And, you know, it's, you know, doing it alone would be, would be really, really hard. And, and to see that. So the content of drills, uh, you know, like, it's very pushed skills at the young age. Uh, there's a lot of small area games. Like, they do that a lot. Uh, like, almost every every practice. Um, and it's something I brought to, to Cape Breton as well. Uh, and then a funny question I got from the, from the junior coach there who asked me through the interpreter, he says, what the hell are you doing here? I said, well, I came here to learn. He says, ah, he says, you, 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 you don't have anything to learn from us. He says, we should be learning from Canada. He says, you guys are number one in the world, you know, and he was like really convinced of that. Like he, in a certain way, he was like, you're wasting your time here, Mark, <laughs> you know, and obviously, you know, uh, it's not a question of how much I learned by going there. I, I learned a lot. I didn't know that at first, but it's just a question of learning and that's important, you know, and, and we talked about that off air, Ryan is it's, it's so important to grow as a coach and as a hockey, uh, guy, you know, whether you're a scout, you're into analytics, you're, uh, you're an assistant coach, uh, you're a teacher that teaches the game to younger uh, age groups. Uh, I mean, you speak to NHL coaches and, and they tell you that, like, I'm trying to learn all the time. Like, you know, Ken Hitchcock would ask me every single time I spoke with him, like, what are tendencies in junior hockey? Like, what, what's new in junior hockey? What's, what's a new system you saw or you implemented or a new pattern you implemented? And so they're, they're eager. And, and I think that's a common denominator for, for people that succeed in hockey or any other field for that matter is the growth mindset. You know, they, they keep on growing and growing. Yeah, the growth mindset really is key. And the eagerness, um, as you said, in someone like Ken Hitchcock um, shows why he's successful. And I think your trip and willingness to, uh, you know, travel quite a distance to to learn from even minor hockey program and and a pretty good club there. It's, uh, it speaks to your eagerness and willing to learn as well. Uh, but it didn't stop there. In 2019-2020, uh, uh, you know, you had some time where you weren't coaching. Yeah. You started traveling around. Uh, some of the highlights, uh, some days in AHL, Pittsburgh, uh, AHL, Syracuse, and, um, you know, a number of different places. Uh, just talk about that entire trip and the multiple stops. Uh, just quite a number there. 
and uh, yeah. just kind of what you learned uh, and what was your goals in doing that uh, pretty much learning trip across North America? Well, 1920 was a season, I would say, where I reflected a lot on my coaching and, and on my career and what I could do better at the next opportunity that shows up. And, and Ryan, when you're, when you're jobless in hockey, you never know when the phone is going to ring. Like you absolutely have no idea. It could ring in 20 minutes or it could ring in 20 months from now. So I, I felt that it was important for me to stay active and to, to, to keep going, you know, like to try to learn some stuff. And so, you know, over the years, obviously I was able to establish some good connections and people are so generous in, in the hockey world. I mean, uh, I try to give it back whenever I can, whenever a minor hockey coach, you know, reaches out to me through social media or, you know, finds my number or, uh, you know, is referred by, you know, a friend of mine or a contact of mine. I really try to give back every single time but this year, you know, in, in the process of reflecting, I went to see a USHL game uh, in Michigan. I went to see some AHL practices and, and, and games in, in Laval because you know, Laval is just north of Montreal. So I was able to go see the Montreal Canadiens farm team and Joel Bouchard, uh, Daniel Jacob, uh, who's the assistant coach, and Alex Burroughs, the assistant coach. So uh, I know them well. Uh, so it was, it was easy to, to get access and, and watch. Went to see the Manitoba Moose practice because Pascal Vincent is the coach there. Eric Dubois is the assistant coach. Uh, and uh, Leon Gavanke, my former defenseman in Cape, uh, plays there too. He had an, an amazing uh, season uh, there uh, last season. So I went to Syracuse to spend some time with Ben Gru and watch his team practice. I went to Pittsburgh too. Jacques Martin has been an, an incredible mentor for me uh, over the years. I'm really happy he was able to find, uh, you know, to bounce back from from his departure in Pittsburgh and land in, in New York Rangers. Um, and uh, it's the indication, Ryan, that experienced coaches are always important on coaching staffs. So this is my advertisement uh, <laughs> segment. So um, so Jacques was very generous. I got to speak and chat with Mike Sullivan a little bit. Mark Recchi, you know, played in Montreal, so we, we talked about that. Uh, uh, Mark Recchi was an assistant coach with Pittsburgh, and uh, he got hired uh, um I don't remember where, but I saw that last week. He got hired somewhere uh, in the NHL. Uh, so he landed. Um, I, I've got a blank. But anyway, it was, you know, it was a good hockey trip. Um, and, and then I went to Tampa also in February, right before COVID, um, to see a couple of games in Tampa. It was against Boston, against Montreal. Saw some practices. Uh, I stopped on the way in Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, to see uh, – uh, Andrei Zveshnikov, because obviously he's the little brother of Evgeny, and I, I've kept in touch with the, the whole family. So I watched the game with uh, his mother and uh, got to chat with him a little bit after the game. But they were flying out the same night. They were playing Colorado that night, so I was able to see Sam Girard too, which uh, you know I know I know well because he uh, he played in the queue in Shawinigan, and I remember interviewing him and his family for our draft. We picked uh, Pierre Dubois five, and Sam had been picked third overall by. Um, by showing again so um so it, it was it was really good for me to be able to put perspective into you know my observations uh i saw 50 games in the queue traveled to halifax for a weekend see two games there stopped on the way back in moncton that was really in the season before the snowstorms come in and uh so it, it was really important but one thing for sure 
Ryan, that I have to say, and with the events that happened with the Me Too, uh, you know, uh, that happened all over. And even if you look at uh, Julie Payette, the, the Governor General, you know, you see the um, the uh, reports this week about uh, toxic and hostile environments. There's no doubt that today in hockey, people expect to have a safe environment. Whether it's it's staff, you know, your equipment guys, your medical guys, your assistant coaches, your goalie coach, and the players, they want to have a safe environment. I think it's in, two, in 2020, it's important to think about that and keep that in mind that, um, you know, you need, to, you need your players and your staff to be happy. To, to be in an environment they feel safe, they feel open. That, uh, and, and I think that, you know, being away from the game and, and following, you know, the current events and following, you know, the news and the reports and uh, the columnists, uh, you know, uh, in sports and outside sports too, you can learn a lot by doing that. And, and you learn, learn about society and learn about, you know, your clientele and, uh, so I think, I think it was an amazing year for me. It, it was long at times because a coach wants to coach, right? So, um, sometimes, you know, I'd be watching a game on TV and almost coaching it myself and saying, okay, I got to stop here and just watch the game. I'm not uh, making the changeups here, but, uh, it's, it's even now with the playoffs, you know, it's really fun to watch. Uh, I think the playoffs have, have been amazing, amazingly entertaining. So, uh, that's really good. Uh, and and I also on my laptop I have the XOS digital program, and I was able to build myself 1,400 um, clips of of hockey sequences and system offensive and defensive so ideas and patterns and uh, you know some were you know based on the way I like my teams to play and some clips are this is new or this could be different this could be a good uh, variation so. Um, you know, uh, I think it's important and, uh, to all coaches, Ryan, who, uh, or, or hockey guys, whether scout, uh, analytics, uh, guys that end up in a period of time where they're not coaching, it's important to stay active as much as you can, um, in order to, uh, to maintain, you know, uh, an up-to-date, uh, knowledge of what's going on, you know, and, and, and take the time to reflect on, you know, what kind of hockey guy you are and, what are your strengths and what do you need to work on and, you know, and, and, and prepare, prepare for, for the next uh, opportunity. Yeah. I think it's really key to remember, as you said, uh, you really don't know when that call is going to come and uh, you just kind of got to be prepared. But I think even for people who are maybe in between their positions and waiting for that next opportunity uh, in a situation like the summer COVID-19 uh, we were all almost in a pause and looking for things to do, but, I think working with Exos or I, uh, I build out and got a sports code and just clipping old games and, and building that ability to uh, just continually process the game and, and stay sharp. And um, I think when you go on, you know, not a continuous road trip, but almost a continuous road trip like you did last season and just seeing all those different uh, practices, games and situations and how people interact. And, uh, you know, you touched on some presentations before that you did as well. So um, a great opportunity to, showcase that continual learning and continue to build your mindset. And I think when the opportunity does come knocking, uh, it's pretty clear that you'll be ready. So uh, moving into a reflective state here, uh, a lot of people look for things to reference and uh, you clearly learn a lot from uh, people and teams and practices, but are there any other resources, maybe books, articles, podcasts, et cetera, that you look to for reference or have done so in the past? 
Well, I'm, I'm a big, uh, big fan of reading <laughs> and, uh, you know, some, some of my former players will certainly, uh, uh, testify to that. Um, so there's one book that I really like is grit from Angela Duckworth. I really recommend it to, to anybody that wants to, uh, you know, take a, a career path and be really successful, whether in hockey or other fields. Uh, it's actually a book that I would buy to our leadership group, um, or some of the members of the leadership group. So Felix Martineau was our captain. He got a copy of the book, Declan Smith. Also, Gabrielle Prue, uh, I gave him a copy of, of, of the book. I think it's, it's an amazing book. For, for younger players, uh, the Energy Bus is, is really an easy read. It's a business book, but it's, it relates to sports so much. And um, I was watching uh, Hockey Night in Canada on CBC, and they, they mentioned that uh, I think Tampa Bay's coach had bought a copy of the Energy Plus to all his players uh, at the beginning of the season. So I, I, I smiled because that's a book I recommended and I gave to so many players. Giovanni Fiore read it. And, uh, so that's, that's, a, that's a great book. I think for any uh, you know, coach that has some experience in, in, in managers too, Ego is the Enemy is an, ama an amazing read. Uh, it's really a, an amazing read to understand uh, how ego can get in the way of players and can get in the way of coaches' uh, path and success um, and understanding it. And, and there's a French version uh, of it, um, uh, which uh, the, the, the name of the, the book is, um, I got a blank now, Ryan, but uh, It Starts in the Locker Room is, is also a good book. Uh, I think that's, uh, that's an amazing book too, uh, for, for the hockey culture. Um, so there, there's several books, but don't, for me, grit is, is definitely, uh, one I, I would highly recommend. I recommend all the time to, to young coaches, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's really important. Yeah. So many different books out there and sometimes it's hockey, sometimes it's culture, sometimes it's a different sport. Um, some of the books on, you know, the all blacks and, yeah, uh, FC Barcelona and, and all these different uh, sports and teams and takeaways. Uh, it's just like we touched on a number of times before, continual learning and looking for uh, takeaways from different areas of your life. Um, but in your life and in your career, you learn a lot of lessons and through mentors. And I know a lot of them have come up in your story thus far, but maybe once again, just uh, mention those key mentors who helped you succeed. And then maybe one or two of the major lessons that you learned through those interactions. There's so many. Um, I mentioned Jacques Martin. So Jacques has so much experience. You know, when when a, when a coach like him spends what, 30 years in the NHL, like it's unbelievable the uh, the stories he has. But you know, the situations he's been through. Um, you know, I have to mention also Blair Mackesy. Uh, Blair uh, is is with Toronto now as a senior scout, but he was with uh, Minnesota and Arizona, and he was with the Team Canada too, as a head scout for several years. And uh, he's from Montreal. I got the chance to meet him when I coached his son um, in '94, '95. So, and and Blair was coaching in Drummondville in the queue. So we always stayed in touch. I was a very young coach. I was 20 or 21 years old. So uh, I needed a lot of direction, but. Those 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 two guys, Benoit Gru was a and is still is uh, an amazing mentor. Joel Canale, who coached uh, Team Canada and coached in all three leagues, 
those, those guys have so much wisdom and have so much experience. Um, but the thing is, it's also important to learn from not necessarily only experienced guys, but from anyone you meet, you know, I, I go sometimes on the ice with uh, minor hockey coaches to help them out or because they want me to assess a few things or, and, um, you know, recently it was, uh, an association that helped that asked me to help for the selection of a 12 year old team. And, and so, you know, I helped the coach, uh, built a process of converting a forward, uh, sorry, a defenseman into a forward. And he was like, the coach was seeing, uh, seeing the situation the right way. Um, but it helped me to kind of, you know, revisit that process of how do you deal with the player? You know, how do you deal with the player that is going to be in shock when you tell him like, you should be playing forward, you should not be playing defense, you know? And uh, so it, it helps the mentor. It helps, uh, to, to help uh, others. It's not just uh, a one-way road, but uh, I mean, Joel Canale, uh, when I was a midget, and I still, I still call him actually, uh, and, and, and Ben Grew is just amazing. Jacques Martin, Blair McAsee, Marty Raymond too. Uh, he, he's a friend, but he's also a, a great mentor. Uh, and, uh, you know, he coached in Ottawa, coached in Tampa, coached McGill for so long. Uh, you know, implemented an amazing culture and program there. So um, I'm really, really fortunate to, to be able to, to reach out to those, uh, those guys and, and, and pick their brains and ask them questions, you know, uh, on, on situations when, when situations uh, come up, you know, and it helps my teams and, and it helps my players too. Yeah. It's always interesting to hear uh, the different mentors and a lot of them come up through the stories and we kind of learn the connection, but um I'm sure you'll be in a situation as, as many are on the podcast when we kind of turn it off. You, you have that, okay, here's one, two, three, four, five different people that should have been in the conversation. But I think it just goes yeah. to show that hockey really is an amazing community and uh, nobody is successful without the help and the confidence and um, being given that opportunity by, you know, others who, who are following a similar path. So as a final question and the final piece of advice, uh, if you could look back at yourself, maybe before you were getting into hockey or maybe a student who was looking to follow a similar path, what's one piece of advice that you would give them to be successful in hockey operations? That's a great question, Ryan. Uh, and, and there's, there's a lot of young guys out there that reach out um, and ask me that question, you know, like, what do you suggest and what do you think I should be doing? And, you know, I think what's important is to kind of figure out what you want to do if you want to coach or if you want to scout or if you want to do analytics and, and then you got to jump into it and, and do it and work hard at it and, and never give up and expect to have some setbacks and setbacks are going to be part of, of the whole trip and there are going to be reasons that will be put on your path to give up, to quit. To, to do something else. And I think it's important to know that in advance. So for example, you know, sometimes, you know, I'll get a call from a, a kid or, you know, a, an email on social media or whatnot, a message saying, you know, like, I'd like to become a scout. What should I do? Well, it's simple, scout. <laughs> and then they tell me, well, for whom? I said, it doesn't matter. <laughs> you don't need to, to be with a team to scout. If you go scout midget hockey for two years, 
and learn about each player and learn to know what, what the players are like and take notes on each player and make yourself lists. I mean, sooner or later you'll, you'll get, you'll get noticed. And it's the same for coaches, you know, like a kid says, I really would like to, you know, earn a living by coaching full time one day. And I like to make it to major junior. What, what's the path I should be taking? And I tell them coach and just coach. It doesn't matter what level. Obviously, you'd like to coach the highest level possible, but a coach has to coach. So if you want to make it to a major junior or you want to become a Mitch AAA coach, so you got to coach minor hockey. You coach and you learn and you grow and you develop and you, you push yourself and you reflect on your practices, on your games, try to find some good mentors. Um, you know, you um, follow Ryan Stacy's uh, podcast. That's an amazing way to grow as a, a young coach or a young hockey mind, but it's important to dive into it. You got to dive and you can't wait at home and expect that by sending hundred emails or making a hundred calls that you're going to make it in the business. It's not about that. You know, it's important to build your network in time, but build your network through uh, accomplishments, through action, you know, being at the rink, beating hockey guys, you know, and that's what I tell guys all the time. Like, you want to become a scout? Well, go scout midget games. You're going to see all sorts of, of scouts from each of 18 teams in the queue that will notice you, that will chit-chat with you, that may pick your brains. What do you think of that guy? Tell me what you think of 27 in the white, uh, on the white team, you know? And, and then you're going to slowly learn, and then you can ask questions. You establish a network. Um, but there's no secret to it. It's work. It's work, it's work, it's work, and there's going to be opportunities to quit, you know, uh, along the way. And, and those who sustain, those who uh, show resilience uh, are, are the ones that have a chance to reach their goals. A tremendous piece of advice. And like you said, anybody that puts in the work and makes it in the rinks uh, will be rewarded in due time. Sometimes it's not the first game. It might take 300. Uh, Sean LaFortune, who was on the podcast before, talked about going to 550 last season. So, um, you know, it, it's long days and uh, not much sleep at times. But in the end, if, if you're really passionate about it and willing to put in the work, uh, results do come. Uh, Mark, I just really want to thank you for taking some time today to join me on the podcast and talk about your career and a number of very, uh, very interesting events and experiences. And um, while you're not working with the team at the moment, I'm sure that calls right around the corner and I wish you all the best moving forward. Uh, thank you, Ryan. It, it, it was my pleasure. Uh, it was my pleasure to be a part of it. Thanks for the uh, invite and uh, good luck to, uh, to everyone that listened and good luck to you too. All right. Thank you. Take care. I'd like to thank Mark for coming on the podcast and talking hockey in what was a jam-packed interview. We discussed experiences in everything from junior hockey to the Youth Olympics, and we were able to gain insight on some of his great relationships in the game, so for sharing all of that, I'd like to thank him once again. If you would like to get in touch with Mark to discuss his experiences, I encourage you to reach out to him directly or contact HockeyMindsPodcast at Outlook.com, and I can help make that connection for you. Next on the podcast, I'll be joined by Emily Engelnatsky, video coach with the Hershey Bears. As many people may know, Emily was a guest on our video coaching roundtable and was very recently promoted to her current AHL position. 
Before Hershey, she was with Wisconsin and held a variety of other roles, which we will get into on that episode. So listen in on that conversation this upcoming Wednesday. As a closing remark, I'd like to thank everyone who has listened from day one and for those who have recently joined in following the podcast. Be sure to rate, comment, subscribe, and share the podcast on all platforms that you enjoy. As always, stay safe and all the best.